sweat the technique. The Killer Bees. What about the murderous Jays? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays. Coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. So George and Joel Blank here with you till 3 o'clock. Jeremy Brandon will return tomorrow to the show. We got this text here, Joel, at the end of the last segment from 2128. Astros could have signed Verlander without giving up anything. The Astros sold prospects for cash as long as they cash in spent on... As long as they use that money to get Tucker, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's a fair narrative around this deal that they should have just got Justin Verlander this offseason and just paid him the money and kept both your prospects? Or do you think that's out of pocket? I go back to what I keep saying about the other moves that they've made in the past, the prospects they've given up, and the, the percentage of those prospects that have turned out to be, it's two different things, Joe. It's, did the prospect ever turn out to be a good player? And then how long did it take for the prospect to become a good player? Because your window's not going to be open forever, okay? So you factor that in. Then also factor in from the standpoint of, we all said, there's no way he's worth $43 million a year, okay? He pitches every fifth day. He's, He's pushing 40 plus. He's had Tommy John surgery. Instead, you give up these two prospects who you don't know if or when they ever were going to be a factor for your team. But in place of that, you're basically pay, paying Justin Mill, uh, Justin Verlander Lance McCullers money, but he's going to be available more often. Mm-hmm. 15 to 17 mil a year for Justin Verlander, no matter what the final number turns out to be, is a freaking steal. And it gives you the financial, financial flexibility to go after Kyle Tucker, to retain your own. To yep. maybe go out and get more in free agency this offseason or next offseason to where it gives you the flexibility that you need instead of worrying about the assets that might be a factor in three or four years. And here's my thing with the idea that they should have just signed Verlander in the offseason. They didn't need to because they went into this season with Fran Valdez, Christian Javier, Hunter Brown, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, Lance McCullers. They, they knew they weren't going to have Lance right away, but they believed that Lance McCullers would return at some point. So they went into the season with six starters. So they knew that they were ready to rock and ready to put together a six-man rotation that they wanted or five-man, whatever they wanted. They were good to go. And I know Dusty Baker said in the offseason at spring training, I wish they would have signed another starter. Even when Dusty said that, I, I didn't like that idea because it's revisionist history. You can only really say that when, you know, a player gets hurt or two players get hurt. Like, for some reason, some dude keeps texting us about Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, you could have signed Dallas Keuchel to a Sugarland Space Cowboys deal and just waited for the worst thing to happen. The reality is the worst thing in the world happened. The thing, too, Joe, is when you look at it, at the point that Dusty was making that comment, if you had done what Dusty asked, there were, there were still holes to fill. There were still voids that had to be somehow a Band-Aid put on or somehow filled and mended uh, for this team to go forward. And if you'd have spent all that money on Justin Verlander, you'd have been completely handcuffed in your ability to try and sign other guys that you were going to need to sign and go after. So now instead, you have a pocket full of cash. Yes, you're two prospects light, but you have the ability with flexibility and financial stability to do whatever you want to do. You can go out and, and trade for somebody else, yes, but more likely than that, you can go out and acquire somebody else 
that's in the offseason that's going to fill a hole that you have. You didn't know you were going to experience the injuries that you experienced. It's easy in revisionist history to say, yeah, you should have signed a starting pitcher before the start. At the, at the start of the season, you didn't need one or two or three. Yeah, and that's where I, I think the way this ended up is, is crazy that Justin Verlander is back on the Astros. The process in which they got here, I think they took the right path. That I don't think signing Justin Verlander this offseason makes sense because this is how I view it, okay? If Justin Verlander signed for $40 million, I don't think you have Jose Abreu. I think that's true. You might not have Rafael Montero. That could have been a good thing. Right. But, yeah, you have your prospects, and you could have made a different move at the deadline. You're still trading these prospects for a first baseman or a left fielder. Like, you're still filling the gaps and using Clifford and Gilbert in a different deal. So, in reality, you traded those guys, you got Jose Abreu, and you got Verlander for the Chief. The holes are still there. They would just be flexible and moving to different parts of the diamond from need to need. But the fact of the matter was and is what you did and how you did it, and like you said, the way that it all fell into place and it, and it, it kind of fell right into their lap was the most ideal situation for the Astros because now you don't have to pay Justin Verlander. Yes, you give up two prospects that may or may not develop. I mean, look at Dana Brown's quote uh, earlier in the day when the deal was done. It, far less complimentary than the quote when he was on TV last night, but he said, we like those two guys. They could be average average major leaguers every yeah, day. He said they were going to be big-time major leaguers, and then they said and then he called them average. Yeah, like I don't know which set. one it is, but I, I think don't more times than not, when you look at evaluating prospects, the ch- I mean, you know what, Joe? And I've been going through a lot of cards lately and sorting through cards. The thing that's amazing to me that adds to this is when you go through cards and see the different card companies that said top-rated rookie, number one prospect rookie, and you look at it and see how many of those guys – are now no names that never made the big leagues that you're going, that's who you thought was going to make the big leagues? Where were you to earmark the guys that ended up being the all-stars and sure. the Hall of Famers? This is kind of similarly. It's a crapshoot with prospects. Look, from Rivaldez was signed for $10,000. He was throwing pitches with, with car lights car, on. Car headlights on so that they could see him pitch. And that's how the Astros found him. Yep. So like you can have a great prospect out of Tennessee like Drew Gilbert. Or you can just keep stealing guys. You can send Jose Altuve home a couple days in a row and then get tired of them and just sign them anyways. So, like, you can find prospects in a million different ways. What's going to be interesting, I think the next step of this equation is now that Verlander's locked up, is there a follow-up deal this offseason where one of these, like, eight starters actually gets traded by Dana Brown to replenish the farm system? Like, I think that's the most likely kind of fallout of this whole thing. But we talked about, like, the if if they win, it doesn't matter what the prospects get. The, the more I just think about it as we're talking, Joel, like, I don't I don't care if they win. I, I, I would what do like, you mean you don't, you don't care? I would like the Astros to win the World Series, but they, they don't have to win the World Series to validate this trade. No, well, but... You think back to what I said when they when Jeremy actually, to his credit, started this whole let let Verlander walk, and my whole rebuttal to that at the time was I'm okay with letting him walk if they win it all because if they want to win it all, then they validate 17 and they validate this run in Astros baseball as being legit, as being true talented baseball players winning the World Series. When they did that, I I could see them Verlander asking for the moon. You wanting to keep this run going and knowing that money could be better suited and targeted to be used elsewhere. And you tip your cap, you you hug it out, and you say, thanks for the memories, and you move your own separate ways. They did that. 
I didn't have a problem with it. But now, based on the injuries, the way the first half of the season went, the fact that you see a glaring need in starting pitching, you go and get a guy that is not like when we said Michael Bourne was on that time and tried to explain from a major leaguer's perspective, when you join a foreign locker room for the first time in a new city with a new environment, it's so much of a culture shock for you that it takes a ton of time for you to adjust. Maybe that's why Mancini didn't work out as well as we thought he would, or Vasquez. Mancini got DFA'd yesterday. Well, so there's your back. You, you can bring want, him in. If you want him back, you can have him. He's a space cowboy next week. I can't. Like, I think the Cubs signed for like 333, and they DFA'd him yesterday. Well, at least he's not Montero. He stinks. But here's the thing. I'm just saying from the standpoint of in both trades that they made, those guys don't have to worry about that. They're yep. coming back to a clubhouse and a city and an environment where not only do they fit in and they're familiar with it, but they're loved, and guys wanted to back. And that makes a difference. That's why these moves were even bigger and better for the Astros than, say, the Rangers who got a Scherzer who has no idea what to expect in Arlington. Yeah. Look, the Astros added to a team that needed help, but they already have the proven players. So, and we were talking about the odds a little bit yesterday. So, first of all, I'm not going to say what you said, though. I still think it doesn't validate anything. Sure. But I still want them and and, and expect them. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I meant. I, I expect the Astros to win the World Series this year. Am I going to predict them to? Why not? I already I did before the season. I expect I'm not, them to get there. I think they could. If it's Atlanta, yeah. they got their hands full. I, I predicted them to win the World Series before the season. I'm not going to back off that now. And I still like. And now that they've added these guys, I feel even better about it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that. The more I've thought about it, that you to to win this trade, that even if Drew Gilbert and, and Clifford are, and Ryan Clifford are all stars, that you have to win the World Series to completely validate it. I think in the big picture. The Astros went all in to attempt to win two more World Series to keep that window wide, wide open over the next two, three years while Verlander's here. I just think it was the right decision at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely the right decision to do this. I don't think that there's going to be the ramifications that a lot of people out there that are concerned about the prospects you gave up do. I think the fact that you got the money back that you did made this a no-brainer and that you can recoup whatever these prospects could develop and turn out to be you're going to probably need those guys to be at their very best of what their career turns out to be sooner than when they'd be ready, and you can find that in free agency. I, I do find it very interesting, Joel, that a, a lot of Astros fans, we're seeing on the text line, the Twitch, we heard it yesterday, it's been all over Twitter, that the Mets paying $54 million of this contract, everyone's just like, you got to pay Tucker. You got to pay Tucker. I don't, I don't think this really changes the Tucker equation at all. Like I don't I don't think that Justin Verlander for twelve, sixteen million dollars, whatever it is, over the next two and you know and a half years means that the Astros are going to re sign Kyle Tucker, are going to pay from Rivaldez. I don't think these things are correlated. So, so I wish they were, but I just don't think they are. Here's the other thing we got to take into consideration too. For all those people that are saying those things, they were probably the same people that said that you gotta lock up Correa. You can't let him get away. You gotta do those kind of things. And you have to be able to dissect through the deal to understand. That is not what the Astros believe in. They do not believe in 8- to 10-year deals for $300 million. They don't believe that they're going to do... The only reason why they did the Jordan deal, because it was such a freaking steal, no matter how you look at it, that you could not say no, and evidently that's what he wanted, and he couldn't either. So it was an unbelievable deal for him now. It's a great deal for you later. They offered the same deal to Tucker. Wisely, on Tucker's point of view, he turned it down. But if he's adamant on getting 
the kind of money that he thinks he's worth, it ain't going to be from, from the Astros. Yeah, Todd the Show says here on Twitch, Astros fans can't live in the moment. They're always three years ahead. It's right. But I think, Todd, the reason why I would say they are is because the Astros trained you to be trained fans to be that way. I mean, for years, even really before I lived in this city, I worked at I, – I just came from the Astros flagship. They All they did was you tell did? me stories about how Charlie used to go on the air, and instead of talking about an Astros game because they sucked, he would talk about what George Springer was doing in oh, the no, Myers. I, I was actually like, watching the internet for the Oklahoma 89ers, the year Springer yeah, yeah. was in Oklahoma City. That was more popular than any game that was on the Astros on TV. The Astros fans, I think, that are always talking about three years in advance, two years in advance, it's because the Astros trained you kind of to to feel that way about the organization, that the next thing was always the right thing or the best thing. And they've almost forgotten, I think, in times to live in the moment and really enjoy uh, what they've had. He's Joe Blank. I'm Joe George. The Killer Bees here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Is there really a quarterback competition? We hit on it next year on ESPN 97.5. Right now, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend, Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph procedure. If you don't know what it is, let me tell you and explain it to you as quickly and accurately as I can. Neograph procedure is taking hair where you're never going to lose it. Genetically, you're never going to lose it on the sides and the back. And, and moving that hair where you need it most. And where you need it most could be up top, could be in front on your hairline. Either way, it's going to be taken care of, and it's not going to go away. It's going to be hair that stays with you, gets stronger and longer, and it's with you for the long haul. That's why I did the procedure. That's why you should, too. The fact is, it's not sprays and creams and foams that mask the problem. It doesn't force you to shave your head or wear a rug. It gets you your hair back, and it's hair that you can actually be proud of that gives you more self-confidence on a daily basis. And as a listener of ESPN 97.5, you can get a consultation with Doc Linville and his staff that normally costs 150 bucks for absolutely free. You don't have any obligation, nothing out of pocket, just getting answers to questions and figuring out if it's the right procedure for you too. All you got to do is go to 975hair.com, make that appointment, ask those questions, get those answers, and find out like I did, the one that won me over 95 to 99% of the follicles that are going to be moved are going to stay and grow and be with you as long as you live the rest of your life. That's why I did the deal, and that's why I couldn't be happier. You should try it too. Go to 975hair.com. And tell them Joel Blank sent you by. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Luther Vandross, Joe. He's Joel Blank. I am Joe George. And for Jeremy Branham, here with you till 3 o'clock. Yeah, keep going. I could. You can't. You don't even know who Luther Vandross is. I mean, I do. I just don't know the song. Dead or alive, Luther Vandross. I'm not good at this game. Dead. You're right. <laughs> I mean, 50-50 shot. You got it right. Put okay. the coin back in your pocket. You got it right. <laughs> There's only two options. I get it. That's it's what like, I'm saying. It's, like multi- it's true or false in high school. True. Musical genius, Luther Vandross. Yeah. Would you, if you had a true-false test in high school, would you just go true-false, true-false, true-false? Or would you have a pattern? No, I actually read each question and answered nah. it. That's dumb. Or, or your grades are going to make scan- you dumb. Did, did they, have, they have Scantrons back then? What's a Scantron? That answers my question. It was like a, it was a piece of paper. So you had a test, and there was, it was A, B, C, D. Yeah, and you, you would, did the number two pencil and you would, stuff. And you would circle A, yeah. B, C, or D. You don't circle. You fill them in. Whatever. You've, same difference. This is why Joe failed almost same. every class. This is why he's taken the second grade three times. That's not true. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. Yeah. You're not that guy. I graduated on time. How much summer school did you have to take? None. 
I had extended college. How many teachers did your parents pay? My dad was one of the teachers. Aha! My dad there you was, go. My dad was my English teacher. The truth comes year. out. Um, what we're going to talk about? Oh, we'll Davis do. Mills. Who's leading today? Uh, Davis Mills, C.J. Stroud. It kind of feels like, Joel, that C.J. Stroud stinks right now. It's early, but Davis Mills is having a good camp. All reports are that, you know, if there was a decision today, it, would, it feels like it would be Davis Mills. Obviously, the coaches are not going to say that. I know Titus Howard said last week that we talked about protecting the quarterback. He referenced C.J. Stroud by name. Laramie Tunsil has been on Instagram saying C.J. Stroud, QB1. But for training camp, Davis Mills has been better. Here's you think we thing. have a real competition here? No. Uh-uh. And they shouldn't. If, they, if there is, then you shouldn't have drafted C.J. Stroud because of the fact that this was to be expected. You know, when you go to your first camp coming out of college, I don't care who you are and how good you were supposed to be coming out of college, it's a huge learning curve that you got to settle into. you got to realize the, the the guys are all getting paid here. The guys are all bigger, faster, stronger, athletic monsters that can knock your block off, and they're all getting they're, – they're playing for a check. And you've got a lot to learn about defenses and audibles and then your own progression and, and route trees and all the different things that you have to go through. But I don't think there's anything to worry about. DJ Bienemy, friend of the station, was on yesterday on ESPN too, and he was talking about this. And he said, even if they were evenly matched by the end of the day, at the end of the preseason, CJ Stroud's going to be your starting quarterback, and he very well should be. And yeah. I don't disagree with any of that. No, I, I, I don't think it matters how you, you have to. Davis Mills has to blow CJ Stroud out of the water. Like it has to, he has to win this competition by miles. Watch what I do here, Joe. To win the job. Watch what I do. If it's neck and neck. Mm. No matter how much you think he's got a lot of neck, you're not going to win that battle if you're Davis Mills. You had your shot a year ago, and if you had done what you were supposed to do, you never would have seen this team draft C.J. Stroud. But you weren't capable of doing it, and we now know who you really are. We don't know who C.J. Stroud is. We don't know what he can be, but we know that everything that they've seen is enough to believe this guy's your franchise quarterback. Yeah. The only way I still feel like it's a real competition is if it's the competition is between CJ Stroud and the playbook. If for some reason he can't pick it up and he can't get the, he can't grasp the concepts and he can't read defenses and it's it's he's going to it's going to hurt his career to put him out there because he's so far behind, then I think it makes sense, you know, to play Davis Mills, but I just think it's it's just so early. But there's a lot of people that they're making a big deal about how Davis Mills might start the first preseason game. Good. Who cares? Seriously. I mean, I go Who back cares? to the fact that of all the teams that have really good quarterbacks, how many of those guys ever start the first preseason game? None. Like, I, in all my years of a Packer, being a Packer fan, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers never started the first, the second. Yes, sometimes because the third used to be the most important game of the preseason. But as Rodgers got older and, his, and deeper into his career with the Packers, he didn't play at all in the preseason. I told you how much that pissed me off yeah. and how rusty he was when the season started. But you know what they did? They guaranteed he didn't get hurt. And if they did start, they play like a series. And typically, they hand it off three times. That's yeah, my right. favorite. Yeah, they play like, one one to two series. They do a whole lot of handing off, yeah. maybe a screen pass, and they, take, they get to take one shot down the field. And that's it. And that's it. Put your baseball hat on, and you're done. Yeah. The, the, the people that are trying to be like, oh, Davis Mills is going to start the first game, the first preseason game. It means nothing. The only thing that matters is week one, and I fully expect C.J. Stroud to be the quarterback. Uh, one of the things that also seems 
that I've noticed from camp, from you know the tw- the tweets and videos that have come out, and what we've heard from Jeremy, who's been doing the the pick six and the extra point. I'm really getting more excited about John Mechie. Like the more we hear, the more it feels that like Mechie is going to be, he's going to hit the ground running as his first full season in the NFL. I hope he hits the ground catching. Uh, I hope he doesn't hit the ground catching. Well, I mean, you're going to get tackled at some point. Fast. Can't run out of bounds every time. True. Tyree Kill tries. He tries. Uh, look, I-, I want the best for John Mechie, and I said this from the get go. I want him. To- I want him to be healthy first and foremost as a human being. But to take him where he was taken, to commit to him the way Casario did on draft night to get him, if he comes in and is anywhere close to what was expected of him when he was drafted and or when he was at Alabama, you've got a guy that should be an integral part of your offense for the future and be side-by-side with Stroud and Tank Dell and whoever you bring in to play receiver long-term in, in this on this team. So when you look at all those things, I, I believe that John Mechie could be a very big key to how good this offense can be and how good this team can be. Yeah. So I think that there should be a lot of cautious optimism and excitement about what Mechie's going to bring out of this camp and bring to the table. Yeah. If the one guy too, that's going to be that's the most interesting is, is tank Dell besides him, because every time people talk about tank Dell, they talk about him, like just like the, his impact on the field right away. I think all of us, you know, the three of us has kind of agree like the, the, the bar is low for expectations for well, Tank in Dell. year one, especially in year one. But the way they talk about him, like oh, uh, Randy McAvoy and Channel Two did a, a, a special segment on him yesterday. I think it was about yeah. his route running, about his ability to get open. I've said, look, I believe in all those things. I believe two things with Tank Dell. I believe he is still so slight in build. So small that if he does, we just got done talking about receivers that are making business decisions and trying not to get hit. If he gets squared up, that's a dude that could have a negative impact on your season because he could get crushed. Yeah. And the other thing to go with that, Joe, real quick, that's why I don't want him running back kicks and punts because I believe he could be really effective as a receiver. That's interesting. But I've seen too many times when you take a good player at another position and say, he's so good at being shifty and quick. I want him to run back punts and kicks, and then he gets his head ripped off, and something happens to a knee or an ankle, and you don't have him for either position. Well, I think right now the way I would view Tank Dell is that he can be an impact player for this team from day one in a variety of different ways. I want Tank Dell to touch the ball like somewhere between 8 to 12 times in a two-week stretch. Like he doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be all in one week. But like every two games, like I want him to have his hand on the ball in some way, whether that's at the receiver position, something creative out of the backfield, punt return, kick return. Like I would just want to see him have the ball. So I, I am good with him being a back on punts. But but here's the thing, Joe. Uh, uh, when you you say the scenario you just laid out, what is the best chance he gets laid out? Because to me, even if he's a, even if he's a slot receiver, you can catch it and you can get out. If you're running back a punt, you can't. And there's a chance that a bigger guy running at full speed is going to catch you when you weren't expecting it, as opposed to as a receiver. Sure, a defensive back might be able to contact you a couple of times. Sure, more times than not, you can avoid it. On a punt return, you're gonna get you're gonna get hit hard. Yeah, and and I think there is a distinction between kick return and punt return because the NFL is like they do a deep dive every single year about concussions because obviously that's still a priority. And, and the one category of 
concussions that they haven't been able to, you know, like flatten out or, or have that curve, you know, dip below average has been on punts. So, like, it is kind of, it is probably still, like, one of the more dangerous plays we have in sports. But I just think they'll have to touch the ball a handful of times every single game. I I just don't feel like it's going to be at receiver. I don't want to have him just as, Joe, as a I, not used weapon your first year in the NFL. I really believe that from the standpoint of kick returns, that's past tense. I don't think kick returns are even a factor anymore. I know there's new rules. Yeah, with I all the new follow. rules and what you can and can't do and, and the touchbacks and everything else. I just don't see scenarios anymore where anybody should have a good kick returner back there because you're really not. If anything, it's going to be pooched it towards the corner of the the ten yard line uh-huh. and hoping like when your up men have to get it. But the kick return is out of the equation. It's the punt return that scares me. And Rare said on Twitch, "What? How do you do? I feel the same way if if Tank Dell is the guy that they bring in only in the fourth quarter in a tight game to get a punt return. You know, I, I understand where he's coming from." But what if that punt return that he tries to get, he tries to squeak out a couple extra yards or break a tackle, and that's the hit that he takes that ends up sure. sidelining him? Yeah, I just, I also just don't think that's like realistic. Like, if he's going to be the punt return guy, he's going to be the punt return guy. Like, you're not going to mix and match and have him in for one series and or one punt and one not for the other. Like, he's either always going to be back there or he's never going to be back there. All right, is this a fair take? Nine one two three. It's Aggie Matt. They talk a ton about Tank because he is a UH guy. If any other market, he doesn't get the same airtime. I disagree. I disagree. I think that NFL scouts already last year when they were watching U of H games, more so than than whether they cared or not who was throwing him the football or if they won the game or not, they knew Tank Dell had all of the attributes of being an NFL player. I mean, whether it was here or somewhere else, you can't teach the speed and the quickness that he brings to the table, that the God-given abilities he has. You can teach you, you can teach by getting him stronger and having to put on some mu- having put on some muscle and get a little you know thicker to be able to take more blows. Mm-hmm. But what he brings to the table, there's not a team in the NFL that wouldn't like to give that dude a shot or say that he could play on their team. Yeah, sorry, Aggie Matt, it's not his fault that you know that you guys haven't had a good wide receiver in like ten years uh, since Mike Evans entered the league. But what's well, the truth? I mean, you're starting it up with Aggie Matt. Aggie Matt already doesn't like me, so I can't. I can't tell you the last time an A&M wide receiver came into the NFL with any kind of impact, besides Mike Evans. Oh uh, no, no, no. Uh, Christian Kirk. Oh, yep. There you go. Good call, Christian Kirk. He's good. Overpaid, did not overpaid. Overpaid, but that's very not his quickly. Fault. But he was like not overpaid by the end of the season. Well, that's not his fault. All right, WTF Wednesday. That's next year on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Anyone can have a hot take on sports. You going to continue to be a bunch of soft, underperforming, tattooed millionaires? But that's not what these guys are about. Joel and Jeremy are real, actual human beings, guys that have lives, families, and feelings and stuff. So it's WTF Wednesday. WTF, why the face? Where these guys let you in on their non-sports interests, goals, and dare I say it, dreams. But more than likely, they're going with all of the WTF moments of the past week. It's WTF Wednesday. Why the face? With the Killer Bees. Joel Blank and Joe George. I'm in for Jeremy Brandon today. WTF Wednesday. Got a couple things we can get into today. Dan Campbell, Mm. once upon a time, was on Pardon My Take, the Barstool Sports Podcast, and said he wanted to have a live lion on the sidelines. Full full mascot. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Where's Shasta? Great question, right? Like, where's Toro? But they they used to have a real live cougar 
Did they really? For the Cougs, didn't they? I believe so. That seems like a bad idea. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, they've had a lot. Like, what was what's Benny the Buffalo or whatever at Colorado? Oh, that yeah. big ass thing that would run people over. Yep. I mean, and the and Bevo. Well, Bevo attacked a dog. Bevo almost got canceled because of that. He almost. Would you be okay? Like, what would you do if you went to a, a Lions Packers game? And all of a sudden, you see a real lion on the field. That's got to be like the. That would I mean, be I would think it's going to be in a cage. It I'm not going to worry about it too much. That's still pretty close to the field. Like, imagine like being like you're sitting there trying to go like silent count, and all of a sudden you, you hear roar. Like, right, not great. Like that would be like the worst thing ever. That's one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. I'm glad the NFL shut that down, Joel. Like, list I mean, of bad ideas. That might be number one. I don't care as long as the, the, the it's secured. <laughs> but what? If it's yeah, not? I don't. I'm not going to be a big advocate of the lion on a leash. I don't think that would work well. Yeah. Oh, you turned the wrong thing on, John. Accidents can happen. Which is exactly where I'd be more concerned if it wasn't a caged animal. I was like, what's just happening? Yeah, I was trying to. I've seen John's lips move, and I'm going, what am I missing here? I know. John's a ventriloquist. So what were you throwing saying, his John? Voice. I was just saying, I don't care if it's in a cage or not. Accidents happen. And, and those things are strong, man. It gets out. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Not a good day. Have you seen this, Joel? I'm showing Joel a photo of a bear in China. I have. This is, a, this is on the Today Show this morning. So there's this zoo in China that's being accused of putting humans in a bear suit and trying to sell it like it's a real bear at the zoo. That's a human being. There is no chance in the world that this bear... Like, the people have gone so far as to analyze the posture of the spine. It's a human. No, it's not. I don't think it it's is a hun- either. It's a human. It's no. Literally, it's standing straight up and, like, waving at people. And then when it sits down, you can tell it's a bear. No. Like, you can clearly tell it's I a bear. I don't agree. Did you see this loser in the UK who spent, like, $900,000 to make himself look like a border collie? Yeah, that was oh. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then have someone walk him. <laughs> What is wrong with people? That's just, I mean, literally nuts. Like, like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, what is... Yeah, but you get all these people that spend all that money on plastic surgery to look like Barbie dolls and, like, they all have, like, sure. their favorite celebrity. But and... that's, like, at least a person. Still stupid. Yeah, but I'd rather... If you told me I spent... Like, there's someone who spent all this money to look like Kim Kardashian. At least that's another human being. This is a dog. That you're dressed like you're paying all that money to look like. What happens when you change your mind? Like what happens when you don't want to be a dog anymore? Can can I have a suggestion here? Why don't you go to China? Pass. Why don't you jump into the bear? Oh, and see if it's for real. And see if it's real. What do I shoot if you're it? right, you're a hero, and everybody knows you were right. If you're wrong, you're dinner. If I shoot it, I'll know the answer. I don't think you're coming in guns blazing, Chief, especially <laughs> in that country. Like, do you think Good, the, you, they don't even allow social media? Good luck getting a gun in the zoo. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's that's why there's no way this this is a real bear. It looks so fake. It looks so fake. It did. I, I I was suspicious of it, but I'm with Johnny. The more I saw the video, I was like, no. The rest of the way that bear is acting, but it's like it's like it's where its butt should be. 
It looks wrinkled. Why are you looking at his butt so close? <laughs> like it, it did. Looks, it it looks did. Like Absolutely. A co- like it looks like a costume. And then once he sat down, it no longer looked that You're way. You're a big fan you of bear tell. butt, huh? No, but like, it's just... Oh, Joe likes bear butt. There's no way. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Oh, that person, this guy spent $20,000 to look like a, a Still $20,000 wasted. A nice life when you want someone to walk you on a leash. Don't they just have chat rooms for that? Um, the other thing that I was going to say about this is is when you start thinking about it, the, the zoo actually started tweeting out or, or sending out messages like as if they're speaking from the bear's perspective to to validate it. It almost made people more believe that it wasn't because they were like, that's not me and I don't... And you, for those of you that are questioning the way I stand up, it's like, well, now you're kind of doing it the yeah, wrong way. Yeah, but that's way. like the people who have Instagram accounts for their dogs. I, believe me, I don't. Could you, uh, and Lisa doesn't either. How many would you have to have? Don't worry about that. Five? Yeah. Eight? No, 20? No, 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 no. We're not at eight anymore. <laughs> Could you imagine having to, like, if that was your life? Would that, that'd be a full-time job. You'd have to quit this job to run Instagram accounts for all of your dogs. Just think about all the the Twitchers <laughs> with all their accounts. I know. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that consumes a lot of time. We got people out here admitting they've got five burner accounts and trying to get me to unban them. Well, that's Sorry. because you are the gatekeeper. I guess. Who needs mod pizza when you've got Joe in charge? I know. People think that I just run the whole thing here. It's not true. Until someone thinks that you did something wrong, and then we know you don't because then you deflect. That's not true. I just, I think you just that, did it again. I just, I just think that song was labeled improperly. Oh, so it's the song. It's the song labeled's fault instead of you knowing music enough to know. Nope, that's a Snoop Dogg song. Well, that's not. I don't have to know everything. I'm not an encyclopedia. Don't you have to know some things to be in the category of knowing everything? I know some things. That's not about music. Uh, last thing I got here, the uh, the Stugats, the original boat from the Sopranos, sold for $300,000. The original what? The the boat. Boat? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about Stugats that was on the Dan no, Levitard show. No, but it's called the Stugats. Okay. I think that's why they call them that, actually. Okay. I could be wrong about that, too. No, Probably you're am. never wrong. Um, I usually admit when I'm How wrong. much? 300 grand. I mean, if you're a fan of the show. It's a small boat. Oh. It's not a big boat. Like, this is. That's the boat. Yeah, but if, if you know the significance of it, a lot of people. Look, there's a lot of people that collect the memorabilia from movies. Yeah, I guess, like, that's the big thing is, like, you have to be, first of all, rich and then a huge fan. Yeah, the, th- the, the, the bigger part of it these days with collectors is one of one. You know, there isn't like three or four of these things floating around. Sure. There's one of one. If you get the one of one that was the boat on the show that you absolutely loved, and like you said, that you have the means to go get it, that's a conversation piece that you want to have in your collection. Some so people. this article says that they found another of this boat going for 229 k And then Tony, this Tony Soprano one went for 299 it's not a bad so, deal then. So seventy k to get the Soprano boat, but you have the you have the the bragging rights. They don't. That's true. Just that's a lot of money for something that like. First of all, I'm not a boat guy. I don't care. How much I'm money. not either. But I don't care how much money I have. I don't want a boat. Blanc- it feels like a lot of work. Blanco's gonna Blanco. I'm not happy. Uh, Blanco stinks. Games at three ten. All right, here's Joel Blank. I am Joe George. The Killer Bees. You can find us on Twitter at Pacman Joel at Joe George Radio. Since the Astros. Golden era has really begun. We're not counting scumbag mock fires in 2015. Rank your no hitters. There's five of them to choose from. We got that next year on ESPN 97.5. 
Informed opinions are oftentimes presented here. You're locked in with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here's Joel Blank and Jeremy Brennan. All right, since 2019, Joel, I'm Joe, filling in for Jeremy. The Astros have thrown five no-hitters. There was one in 2015. It was just shown on a television broadcast somewhere, and the pitcher's name was Redacted. Are you redacting that? Yeah. Yeah, he's a rat. He's a rat fink POS, (laughs) and the bottom line is, is that I saw this last night, too, on Twitter, where the Astros... Someone put out, the Astros have 15 no-hitters in their history, and someone said, no, 16, and they said, no, 15. We got it right. The one that doesn't count has mm. been eliminated, and I completely agree with that. It's it's funny because this isn't the first time. Like This is something the Astros are like very cool with the organization themselves. Earlier this season, they referenced the trade between the Brewers and the Astros for Fires. Yeah, no, no, no. It was uh, uh, and for Carlos Gomez. And Fires, yeah. th- that deal yeah. that was included. And the Astros team PR In the staff, release. In the release, they talked about the trade that day. They excluded him from the, the, the trade. Yeah, good. They just called it the Carlos Gomez trade. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a rat. Like, the Astros' 2017 sign-suing scandal never comes to light. They don't, they don't have this lack of prospect issue. They don't have... Look, and, and my guess is what... How do you think that plays out? You think just another team eventually gets the blame if Fires doesn't rat? Because it feel I feel like well, that's now remember reality. in the postseason you had Poppy and A Rod and the guys up in the Fox stu- the studio set basically saying they knew something was up by that point. But everyone knew. and that the players were talking about it. Well, just, but, but Major League Baseball didn't to your do anything point, about it. The same way the the Yankees got off the hook. The same way, until you have a legit player involved in it that's speaking up and stepping up, it's all just hearsay. It's all just you know calculated guesses as to how much everybody was doing and how much effect it had on the game, and and, and you know how many guys were able to capitalize. And I don't think the ramifications are nearly as serious for the Astros. But yeah. that's why I've said we truly, as much as we all want and some demand answers and how many teams were doing it, and to what extent. We may never find out, but the best-case scenario, the best guess for me is that about 15, 20 years from now, when no players have anything to lose by saying it, that's when they're going to be more like the guys that have tried to come out already and let you know, yeah, our team was doing it. Yeah, this is what we were doing. Yeah, it's going to be... Because history's going to kind of flip in a way. Where Right now, it's like the Astros are the bad guy, blah, 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 all that garbage nonsense. But when eventually, because I think you're right, eventually when all that stuff does come out, because it will, like, you're right, it will eventually come out, like, someone from the Rockies will one day talk that what Eric Kratz said about the massage gun on the on the metal bench and how they were communicating to their hitters, similar to the way the trash cans were used for the Astros, like, that, will, that story will eventually, you know, see the light of day from the Rockies' perspective, from the Brewers and the Dodgers and the, and the Red Sox and all these teams. Like, it will all eventually come out. But what's interesting is that the Astros were the only team severely punished. Like, this would have been like if Barry Bonds was suspended for steroid use and no one else was. Or if it was like, or Sosa was suspended, or McGuire, and no one else was. The fact that the Astros were so singularly targeted by Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball, and then that coward 
is saying, you know, this year in 2023 that he wishes he had a do-over a little bit with the way he handled it is a total joke. But like, that's why I I like the fact that the Astros are the are trying to erase Mike Fires because he's he's a rat. Like he's everything. Like Tony Soprano to connect our last two segments would have killed him. Yeah, he's he's been erased from sports culture. He's terrified to come out. He's like Bartman from a different way Mm -hmm. to where he wants to be as incognito as he can be the rest of his life. And it's his own fault. It's his own doing. And I don't think he fully thought through what he thought he was going to be a hero trying to do. But like how? And I think it's also because he had such bad blood and got his his undies in such a wad. Because he sucked and was left off the playoff Yeah, but he still felt like he was entitled. And he felt like he was supposed to still be there when his performance said that he shouldn't be. And so the way that he wanted to get revenge on the team that saw what he didn't want to see, that he didn't have any ability, he wanted to do, and then he didn't think through, well, if I do this, what's my life going to be the rest of the, rest of the way? Because it's like, I don't know how you don't see what happened to Jose Canseco, who, yes, it's later in his life that he's really gone, like, full tell the whole story. But besides the fact that he's just, like, a major moron, juicehead cheater, like, he has been, you know, left out of baseball... He's not welcome because he, he's told he's told the truth. Mm-hmm. Like he's the reason why a lot of stuff came out publicly about the steroid era after the fact about McGuire and these other guys and what the A's were doing at the time. And like, I, so I don't know how Fires didn't think it was going to go. But it also it just what annoys me the most is that he's such a, Mike Fires is such a coward. Oh, for like, sure. It's not that just like that he's a rat. He's such a coward. Because he won't tell the truth. Like, why didn't you say anything then? Tell me why you really told on the Astros and why you told Rob Manfred everything. Because my opinion is that Alex Bregman and these guys didn't like him. And they didn't treat him like he wasn't one of their boys. And he was left out of the inner circle of the clubhouse. And then he was left off the playoff roster. And that's why he felt like he could snitch. It's also because he was a fake tough guy. Exactly. When he was getting taken out of games or things weren't going his way, then he was going to go punch the, the, the fan in the dugout. He was going to storm off the mound and cuss out the manager and act like, you know, Johnny Tough Guy. But at the end of the day, when he got called out for not having the ability to be a part of this team and because he got ostracized because of the fact that no one wanted to be around the dude, yeah. now it was there's hell to pay and I'm going to be the one that brings it with Fuhrer and I'm going to take everybody down. And like I said, Joe, I don't think that he literally thought it through to say, if I do this, as much as short term, I feel like got him. I did what yeah. I was supposed to do. I didn't think through the fact that all of Major League Baseball, aside from in the A's for a couple of years, might just basically say, you're blacklisted. You ain't doing this and we don't need a, a snitch in our clubhouse no matter what it might be, that whether we're playing fantasy football for big money or whatever it is, who knows if you wouldn't do it again? It's it's funny because it's like that's I even feel like Rob Manfred would say like, we don't want this guy around here. Like we can't trust. About, him. I mean, we can't trust. Talk him. About what a little bitch someone can be. It's one thing to be a narc. It's another thing to then go to another team and still try and act tough. And every single time you had a chance to face that old team, you mysteriously came down yeah. with an ailment. And all he really did was boost Evan Drellick's career. Who Evan Drellick is just. He's hilarious to me because the only thing that, like, I, Astros fans, like, you just keep that guy employed. He he put out a story about the Angels guy uh, who was giving everyone the sticky the stuff. clubhouse guy. And Evan, in his tweet, the only two players' names he included were Verlander and Cole. Like, it's, it's so hilarious. Like, that's just the only thing that clearly keeps him going. All right, so 
now that we're done with the Mike Fires rat stuff, we're not including the 2015 no hitter. So the, the no hitters, the five since 2019, you've got Aaron Sanchez that combined no hitter versus the Mariners, yeah. Justin Verlander versus the Blue Jays, Christian Javier combined no hitter last year versus the Yankees, Javier combined in the World Series last year, Fromber last night. One through five, what are your favorite ones? Well, I mean, there's pros and cons, right? Because I think that from the terms of efficiency, the way Fromber faced the the very minimum of 27 hitters, the fact, fact, fact that his pitch count was at 93, I mean, that's as good as it gets. The, the negative is who he, who he did it against. And the fact that that team had traded away Josh Bell and yeah. that Josh Naylor was taken out in the first or second inning. That's the only thing where you can try and have anything to point a finger at. If you're Verlander, you're on the road. You did it in Toronto. And you did it against a good baseball team. That game was so to where, Yeah, and and really it was 0-0 going into the ninth yeah. inning. So when you look at that, I would say those are the two vying for the top spot. Not Is it not the World Series one? And, and then I think a very close second, though, is because I really firmly believe that a no-hitter is one guy. I, I get it that. that the game was a no-hitter, Yeah, but when you have that many pitchers, I get the stage was bigger and the lights were brighter, and that factors in too, but I just think that it's a notch below uh, when it's a combined. So I because of the, the moment, I still, number one will be the World Series no-hitter. Okay. Um, because of the intensity of the game, and and maybe it's, maybe it's the after of where the bleep is Toro from JV, that was awesome. Yeah. And JV was just so dominant in that game. And obviously, Fromber was two last night. So I go I go World Series one, two, Justin Verlander versus the Blue Jays, three, last night, four, Javier versus the Yankees, five, Aaron Sanchez versus the Mariners. Yeah, that's definitely last for me, too. Because I, I mean, I, I think I go Verlander one because of the intensity of the game. Because it was nothing, nothing in the ninth. It could have been either guy winning. I mean, such either a good team game. winning it. It was a great game. Uh, un, uh, you know, uh, a very unexpected hero in Toro was the guy that got the hit that, and also made a great defensive play in the last inning. You look at that and you say, okay, for me, Verlander's one because of all that. Two for me would be the, the, the game last night because of the efficiency, that the way he went about it. Three for me would be the fact that even if it wasn't a no-hitter, the performance you got from Javier was elite. Yep. But because you had to rely on three other pitchers or two other, however many other pitchers it was, it doesn't matter if you get a no hitter or not. The fact that your pitchers were dominant was all that anybody was worried about. So that's three for me, and then four would be against the Yankees because it was the Yankees, and again it was a combined. And then, and then the Sanchez is fit. Yeah, that one. That one's so funny because that was pretty close to after they acquired him. I think in nineteen, the, that game Aaron the, Sanchez, Sanchez right after it was like right after. It was and then right after he, the deadline because they had just gotten Biagini, and then he too. got hurt like, right away. No, like, the next start after that, or yeah. within two starts after that, he was done. Like it's like he had this like big moment in nineteen. It's like oh, it's like wow, like the Astros, you know, like they made this big splash. Like yeah, he's kind of been an underrated I guy. AJ Hoffman talking about a guy that they might want to resign that might be a part of their future. And look at one, and then he blew his arm out. At one point, Aaron Sanchez when he was coming up. In oh, Toronto, no, he, was he was a high prospect. Yep. Like people yep. thought he was good. He had nasty stuff, and then he didn't live up to it. And then he comes to Houston, helps throw a no hitter, and then just like completely falls apart. And I think he was out of baseball by like 2021. Yeah. 
Like that guy had like a crazy career. Like his peak was so high with Toronto and here, and then just it fell apart and washed away. It absolutely did so quickly. Um, I'm really excited for the Wheel of Bits today. We're, we're just going to tease. Is that it. what they're it's, calling the show after us? No, I, was it the wheel? Is it the? Oh, it's the White House. The White House. That's go. what. That's what we're calling. Yeah. It now. Well, not we callers. The callers. Yeah. You're right. The callers the are calling it. Is due. They're calling it the White House. We call it the Wheel of Bits House. Okay. I guess is what we're going to sure. go with. All right. He's Joe Blank. I am Joe George. If everyone's healthy, playoffs started today. What's your rotation? One through four in the playoffs. That's next year on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, 92.5.